Insane Transformation Podcast, helping executives and consultants idiot-proof their workplace, one innovation at a time. In the last podcast, I, I talked about stick to You know, we got on the subject of how many trial and error attempts would you make to solve a problem, to create an industry leading innovation how, how many attempts we talked about this idea of getting up to 30 40 even 50 thousand attempts but even 10,000 you know even 5,000 we said was definitely not within the reach of the average organization they're just not gonna set aside the time the money the resources to go through that many trial and error attempts but I, I did hit on the idea of there being some strategies, some techniques that we can use to accelerate this process. So even though the problem is still quite challenging, quite difficult, quite hard to overcome, we can still solve this problem without necessarily having to use 10,000 attempts. But the point I was trying to make was we've got to be prepared to go through and spend the time and experience all of those losses and those learnings and those mistakes and those types of things and iterate and iterate constantly to get us to the point where we're going to have a solution. But let's talk a little bit about the accelerator. Have you ever played with Lego, or as I always heard when I was growing up, maybe I heard it the wrong way, but Legos, I don't know, we always called them Legos. In Australia, it's definitely Lego. But have you ever played with Lego? Maybe with your kids, or can you think back to playing with something like that? What if you had a Lego car? So I'm giving you this Lego car. And the car is already built. It's completely constructed, okay? But what if there was a problem with the car? Okay, so maybe there's a spare tire or a spare wheel with a spare tire on it. And it's sitting outside of the car, okay? And you can see there's a trunk there, but the wheel isn't fitting in the trunk. And I give you a task. I say, okay, I want you to sit down and I want you to get this spare tire into the trunk of this Lego car. Okay. Now you can see by looking, maybe you lift up the trunk door itself. Maybe you lift it up and you can, you can see inside of it and you can see, well, in terms of the volume, there's definitely enough space to hold the tire. There's no question about that. But the way that it's constructed is the tire can't just simply slide through that opening. So the task I'm going to give to you is to say, how would you solve this problem? And this makes for quite an interesting little 
experiment, actually, and it's going to take us into the idea of what we're talking about today. One of these innovation strategies that's going to help us accelerate the solution process so that we don't necessarily have to expend 10,000, 20,000, whatever, 50,000 trial and error attempts to get a solution to our problem. So the question I'm asking you is, you've got a Lego car, you've got space in the trunk to fit a spare tire, but the trunk doesn't open enough for you to fit the tire in. So how would you solve this problem? That's question number one. And then question number two is, if you were sitting down, so after you think about the solution, if you were sitting down to build this car again, now you're building it from scratch this time, so you're actually going through the instructions and you're building this thing. Knowing what you now know after you solve this problem, what information would you pass on to someone else who is building the car or what would you personally do differently if you were going to build the car, knowing now what you know? Let, let's take this first question. How would you solve this? How would you solve this problem? I'm, I'm willing to bet that most people to, to get through this are going to think of something like this. I'm probably just going to take the car apart. I'm probably going to disassemble maybe the trunk. Okay. Maybe you have to pull the top of the car off. Maybe you have to pull the wheels off. Maybe you have to take some number of pieces off, but you're going to do that in order to fit the spare tire into the trunk and then you're going to rebuild the car. Is that how you would solve the problem? This is how most people go about it. Now, I'll talk about some strategies for how to do this, but I just want to say that most of the time this is kind of how we approach things, okay? You think that the spare tire is fixed. You think that the only thing that you can sort of do is go in and disassemble this car. But there are lots of different ways that we can we can get at this problem. And then if if you did take the car apart and you, you fit the spare tire in there, and then you put it back together, the second question I asked was, well, if you, if you were going to do this again, you're going to do this a second time, and maybe you're actually coaching or mentoring someone else, what feedback would you give them? Would you say, Something along the lines of, well, I just had to disassemble this whole car to fit the spare tire in the trunk. So when you're building it, it doesn't say this in the instructions, but when you're building this car and you get to the point where you've got the frame or the chassis or whatever assembled, stick the spare tire in there. Even though the instructions don't say it, put the spare tire in there because you're not going to be able to do it later. This is what most people say. Something along those lines. Okay. And again, it depends very much on how you answered the first question. But if you answered the first question that way, then usually the answer to the second question follows suit. So let's take that answer to question number two now and see if we can pull this apart and actually find out what's going on here. Why would that strategy work? If you're helping someone to build the car, what you're actually doing is that second time around, you're putting the wheel or the spare tire in the trunk first. You're actually using something called a separation principle. 
You may not know it to be a separation principle, but this is what it is. You're actually separating in time within the process the point at which you take that spare tire and you introduce it to the to the rest of the vehicle. Okay? And and what you've actually done is you've moved it up in time. Right? So if it took you, say, 10 minutes to build the car, so T equals 10 minutes, and at 10 minutes, that's when the car is complete and you put the spare tire in, you're actually going back in time, and you might be going to, say, you know, T minus 5 minutes or 7 minutes or 8 minutes or something like that before the build has completed, and then you're introducing that spare tire. So you're separating in time where you decide to install the spare tire. Now this is pretty interesting. We could, we could start to include any parts that we want earlier in the process. We could, in, we could introduce and add new steps within the process and enter those earlier than some target step or some target process. Just, just the same as we could take and we could push that specific part or that process step out further in time. We can go either way, on either side of the point where there's a problem or we decide there's an issue. Let's take that idea about the wheel again for a second. What if we could just take the wheel itself and we could separate the tire from the wheel? Right, because the tire can be removed. Well, if there's enough volume in the trunk, could we have taken the tire off the wheel, then put the wheel in, then put the tire in, and then put them back together? Hmm. What about if the tire stayed on the wheel, but we deflated the tire? Now, in a Lego situation, probably not going to happen unless you've got inflatable tires. <laughs> Okay, but if you're thinking about this as a real problem, that's another way to do it, isn't it? You separate the air from the tire. And what happens when you separate the air? Well, then it makes it easier to push into the trunk, doesn't it? And again, you don't necessarily have to reinflate it in the trunk. You can remove the tire and maybe reinflate it before use. But again, with this Lego situation, think about the separation of parts of the wheel. What about the wheel itself? Depending upon what kind of Lego car you're playing with, the wheel itself could be separated. Maybe the wheel breaks down into four or five or six pieces. Maybe the wheel is hinged, okay, and there's component parts that can actually move in a flexible way. But if that was the case, then the wheel could be pulled apart. It could be deconstructed. And those component parts could be then reassembled. What about this idea about sticking the tire in the trunk? I mean, that was the requirement I gave you, but what if, what if the tire didn't even need to go in the trunk? What if the tire could be separated from the car and, and you say, listen, it was just too hard, so I just attached a chain and I'm just going to drag it behind my Lego car and it's going to look really cool and we'll put some Christmas lights on it or something. I don't know. But the point I'm trying to make here is, isn't that interesting that when we start to think about innovation and we, and we start to pursue innovation, meaning we, the, the thing that we want to change, you know, whether it's our product or our service or our technology, the thing that we want to change, we're trying to get to that industry level first. 
you know, we're always chasing a 3x uplift, and that uplift could be in maybe your main parameter value or throughput or reliability or whatever. But there are many, many different ways that we can achieve that industry level first. And the other thing is that even though I didn't tell you a lot about the Lego car or the constraints of the car or the wheels or whatever, the point is even if you, you're dealing with some service or some product, even if you don't fully understand the structure of the problem you're dealing with or the pattern of what's going on with the parts of that process or the process steps um, within that specific service or the component parts, even if you don't fully understand the structure of the problem, you can still apply a solution pattern, one like what we're talking about here with the principles of separation, to get innovative solutions to your problem. Now, if you did understand the problem structure, in this case, maybe our problem is a volume and a rigidity or dynamization problem, right? And so there's two aspects of the situation that we're looking at. Maybe it's a time-distance problem, whatever the case is. If you understand the pattern of the problem, it just makes your solutioning that much easier. But let's just assume that we, we don't have that yet. So if all you're after is the principle and, and you apply just one principle, that principle of separation, what you're going to find is that you're going to dramatically improve the quality of the innovation, but also it's going to enhance your ability to accelerate how quickly you can get that solution out, whether it's a product or service or whatever, and get it to market. Okay. Now, you, you might not get rid of all of those 10,000 trial and error attempts. You might still have who knows, 1,500 or something like that. But the point is you can accelerate that process. Now, if, if you've listened to other podcasts or you listen to my YouTube videos or read some of my articles, you know how I feel about brainstorming and about pure trial and error. I, I actually am not a big fan of brainstorming. And just trial and error where it's uncontrolled and it's undirected, I think is a complete and utter waste of time. But when we talk about using trial and error, using a concept or a pattern, like say separation in time, then what ends up happening is that you stop making the trade-offs and the compromises and you are able to produce something that's much more aligned to what we would call an ideal final result. It's much closer to the perfect solution, okay? So keep that in the back of your mind because you, you can use these methods you know, for solution gen or, you know, anything like that. And you're going to get, and this is the other important thing, you're going to get a process for delivering solutions that are repeatable and reproducible. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Now, let's talk a little bit more about this idea of separation in time. Now, I could have picked any. The ones I, I will normally go to first are separation in space and separation in time. But th there are several of these. You got separation in parts, you got separation uh, by perspective, separation by fields. And then with, within each one of these principles of separation, you have subcategories. You know, like you could take separation as, as uh, separation in time as an example, and I'll just rattle off a few examples. And there, there are several subcategories that exist within separation in time. But before I get there, let, let me just explain if, if, if this doesn't make sense to you. Wh what is separation in time?
just think for a second that you've got two objects and those objects meet at a certain time. Okay, so let's say that you walk into a coffee shop. Okay, so you get in the coffee shop at 7.45 a.m. You, you know, you walk up, you place your order, you pay for the order, and then you, you sit there for, I don't know, however long, 15 minutes, and you're waiting for this coffee to be made. So the barista, maybe the barista doesn't come over, but you walk up to the counter, the barista calls your name, and she says, hey, Julie, um, here's your coffee, and she hands it to you. So she places the coffee in your hand at 8 a.m. So that's the object entering your hand at 8 a.m. But there are other objects in there. There's another object, which is the order form, right? The order itself. Even though it's virtual, it's an object. There's the money, right? So you're, tr you're transferring money. Even if it's digital, you're transferring that money. Okay, so there's other objects in here. So if we talked about separation in time, we talk about separating an object or multiple objects or the functions of objects, like how they interact with each other, but how we separate those in time. So again, you've got that 745 timestamp, right? So let's take separation of time, and I'll just rattle through some of the subcategories. So let's take something like prior action. This is one of the most popular. How to take a prior action. Okay, so this is a separation in time principle. If, if, if I take a prior action on ordering that coffee, you know, what happens? You know, the order, the payment, and the pickup happen, any one of those, or all three of those could happen before I get to the coffee shop. I mean, think about it. The order itself can go in ahead of time. The payment itself can go in. So I pre-order, essentially. Right? So that's a prior action. Taking some action ahead of time to maybe reduce the fact that I'm standing there in the coffee shop waiting for 15 minutes, right? What else could I do? I, I could do a, and this is similar to prior action, I could do a partial action where I only fire part of the process. So let's say I, I pre-order. I, I, the order goes in, so just my order. So... I can use my app, I can call ahead, I can scream out my window and say, um, hey guys, I'm coming in for my coffee, I'll be there at 8. So the order goes in, okay? Now maybe I haven't paid for it yet, so I didn't, I didn't decouple the whole entire process, I just decoupled the part where my order goes in, okay? And if I separate the order in time, what that means is I can be traveling, I can be en route to the coffee shop, and then by the time I get there, I should just be able to walk up and pay and then get my order. And hopefully it would have already been made. <laughs> That's the assumption here. You know, there's other types, things like excessive action. You'd see this oftentimes with excessive and remedial, but an excessive action. What if you, what if you paid more for your coffee? Let's say that, and this happens a lot, right? We'll get a quote from someone and they'll say, uh, look, I, I don't really know how much it's going to cost, but I think it's X. So I think it's $10. So let's say that I'm not sure how much my coffee is going to cost on the day because there's some special bean that I like and it's only coming in tomorrow and they, they haven't priced it yet. So I can actually overpay for the coffee. I can give the coffee shop, say, $10. And then when I come in and I place my order, they just credit they credit me back. Or maybe the credit is an automatic thing that goes into, goes into an account that I have. But that excessive action 
or, or even a remedial action, is another way to separate in time. Changing directions is one you'll see a lot. Also carrier or intermediary. intermediary. Actually, carrier or intermediary is a good one. What do you think carrier or intermediary means if we talk about separation in time? How could you use a carrier? If you're dealing with a coffee order, and most of us are across this now, I mean, you'd like to think that Uber Eats is innovative. Well, is it? Really? It's been around for a long time. I mean, carrier, using a carrier, when we're talking about separation in time, is very simple. You order the coffee, but you're just not sitting around waiting for it, right? Someone's bringing it to you. Someone's delivering it to you. Maybe an employee. Maybe there's a delivery-type business. Some intermediary, some carrier. And that can happen, again, to any part in the process. What about changing directions? Like, you, you know, you don't, you don't have to go through the coffee ordering sequence in the way that you go through it. I mean, you, you could just as easily have 10 coffees set out. What are the 10 most popular? They get set out on the counter. You walk in and you're like, yep, I really like soy mochas. So you walk in and there's a soy mocha sitting there. Of course, it's under a heat lamp, so it stays nice and warm. So you walk in, you grab your soy mocha first. So you've taken the coffee first. Then, because of the coffee that you've taken, the barista knows, or not the barista, the, the person working at the counter knows what your order is, and they charge you accordingly. So you've just done the whole process in reverse. Okay, And it can be the same for rearranging, reorganizing, you know, even merging. But the point I want to make is, this is a way that we can really accelerate our transformation of some product or some service that isn't performing the way that we want it to, and we can really start to get innovative results. All right, now, now let's take your service or your product for an example. Is there some problem that you've been stuck with that you haven't been able to overcome? And, and it's probably going to involve an interaction between usually, not always, but usually the customer and your technology or the customer and your staff. But it could also be with your staff, your employees, and the technology as well. But whatever it is, or the product, but whatever it is, how can, how can you start to use this idea of separation in time to break the relationship at, at a certain time where those two objects, whether it's the customer, the technology, some product, whatever, where those two objects meet, how can you separate those in time? I mean, you can even think about splitting the object itself, right? If the object is an order form, can you split the order form into multiple parts? Not can you, you definitely can. But what about splitting the order form into multiple parts and pulling some part forward and putting some part um, back? What about that? But what about using that idea of rearranging and changing the sequence? What are our customers wanting and what are our competitors, including us, not giving them that can be solved by this process? Now, keep in mind, I'm not actually saying to solve your problem, you need to introduce new technology, you need to introduce more money, you need to increase the investment. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying in this first instance is, let's take all of the stuff that's already available to us, our current systems, our current processes, our current people, whatever they are, and think about separating those in time. 
okay, without adding anything new. That's the first pass. But if you actually have a go at this, you're going to be completely blown away by how successful this is. So when people ask me, how is it you guys are able to do this? How is it you're able to come in and consistently generate innovative solutions to product and service problems? This is one of the tools that we use, and it works a treat. You'll be blown away. And again, you'll see a massive reduction in those trial and error attempts. Now, again, I'm not saying don't have stick-to-itiveness, but you can accelerate that process. So ultimately, this is one of the tools that you can employ as a basis for that industry-level innovation. Hope that helps. See you soon.